0: is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Here's a five-star review we received on Apple Podcasts. Helpful and Needed. Needed this so much, these ladies are smart, courageous, and kind. They get it. They understand, and they have been helpful to me already in just listening to this podcast. I have been able to realize I'm not crazy, what abuse is, how it's not my fault, and speak up for myself to a pastor and significant other who are trying to let the blame fall on me. Thanks, BTR. And thank you for that review. Your ratings and reviews help women all over the world. Kristen Price from the National Center on Sexual Exploitation is back on today's episode. She was with us last week. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, go back and listen there and then join us here. We are just going to jump right in. So this past spring, the federal government passed a new law against revenge pornography. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yes, it's a law that provides basically victims a right to sue for content that is non-consensually distributed if the person who disclosed it knew or recklessly disregarded the depicted person's lack of consent. So when it allows people to sue for images, it allows them to potentially get a temporary restraining order or an, you know, an injunction basically ordering the, the perpetrator to stop displaying or disclosing the image. Uh, there are some exceptions that I think Are a bit concerning to who can bring an action under this new law so basically there's an exception called matters of public concern or interest that's in my view very very vague and appears to exclude any possible cause of action if something is deemed to fall within that category and my perspective on that is that famous or well-known women shouldn't be public sexual property either And it doesn't really address the rights of a person if someone who was not well-known or there was no public interest was appearing in content alongside someone who was. That's one exception that raises a flag for me. And then there's another exception related to commercial pornographic content. basically means content with people who appear to be under 30 if it is not produced by force, fraud, misrepresentation, or coercion. That kind of content would also be accepted. So in some ways, it means that the websites most likely to be exempt are the ones who are most likely to have people under 30 exploiting younger people. And it also exempts the websites and people who are most likely to be profiting from the display of the content. So like if someone ran his own pornography website with younger looking people, he couldn't be sued by his wife or ex-girlfriend for non consensually posting her images on it as long as she wasn't you know coerced to make the video in the first place so it, to me th- these are these are exceptions that are very worrisome and ultimately I think make the law really incomplete but I I definitely think it can be useful you know for some victims to have legal recourse
0: when you say consent like that word is just fraught in our community, because women are giving their consent to get married, for example. They're giving their consent to be in a relationship, but that doesn't mean they give their consent to be abused, right? So when you say, yeah, they consented to be in porn, but they're not consenting to be manipulated or gaslit or, you know, some of the other things. But is this like a he said, she said when it comes to this law? Or if they don't have like a written sort of document where they've signed something... Is the consent issue very clear when it comes to this law or does it get caught in the same kind of rape slash domestic violence problems that we have where you can't ever prove that you didn't do it,
1: you know? It's a really good question. And I think it's hard to say right now because no one has really tried to use the law yet. And I think a lot will depend on how it's interpreted, how judges interpret it, how how it's actually used. I would say that this kind of law aside, it's worth noting that in the federal sex trafficking law, which does cover pornography, the standard for whether something meets the definition of sex trafficking is whether it features a minor or was produced through force, fraud, or coercion. So in a sense consent is arguably not really a defense if by consent people mean agreement. Because you can be coerced into agreeing to something or you can be deceived into agreeing to something. And if either of those two things is present, then the crime is still committed. So I think it kind of remains to be seen if this specific law is going to take kind of a similar view. It definitely seems to anticipate that people may produce content through coercion and deception and that that would be included in the law, but it it wouldn't necessarily let you sue a commercial website like Pornhub, but it would let you sue the person who posted it. So they do seem to anticipate that coercion is possible in this context, but I think a lot will depend on how things end up being interpreted.
0: Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there. But they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Here's a five-star review we received on Amazon. She said, great picture book for parents. I love Trauma Mama Husband Drama because it explains how abuse feels and how pornography affects one's family dynamics. The best part, the back of the book has about 10 pages of information of what to do to get out of the trauma-drama-abuse cycle. It teaches you about self-care, respect, and boundaries, and it's amazing. Thank you so much for this review, and now we'll get back to the interview. We've spent a lot of time talking about this. I know some of you listening are victims of this. Like your own husband has posted things of you or you're a victim of revenge porn. You're a victim of sexual abuse in this way. Many of you, I have talked to you personally, and you have been afraid to press charges. Number one, because you're not sure if you want a divorce. You're not sure if, you know, things are going to work out with your husband, things like that. I want to encourage you to do something. The best hope for your husband not to be abusive is to actually stand in account for his crime. Even if you think there's some kind of chance that it will work out, I still think if he were to be truly changed, truly repentant, truly non-abusive, he would take accountability for those things that he's done. And so reporting it is an important step. So I know that reporting domestic violence and reporting things like this, especially if it is your husband or your boyfriend, is a safety issue. So I want to acknowledge that. At the same time, there are resources available, and I'm really excited for Kristen to be able to explain those to you now.
1: Yes. One of the main resources that we recommend is the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative. It's specifically helpful for victims in the United States. And they have a crisis helpline, and the number is 844-878-2274. I'll give that again. It's 844-878-2274, and you can talk with a counselor through that number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have an online removal guide, which walks people through instructions for how to address content they found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google, Snapchat, and other sites. And then they also have some international resources for people who are in Australia, Brazil, Israel, Palestine, Pakistan, South Korea, Taiwan, and the United Kingdom. Um, So that's our main recommendation is definitely to contact them. Listeners are also welcome to contact the Nicosi Law Center if they would like to do so. We do have a number of lawsuits addressing image-based sexual abuse, although at the moment, almost all of them concern child sexual abuse victims, so people who are minors when their content was posted. We have lawsuits against Pornhub, against X videos, against Twitter. You can find more information about this at sexualexploitationlawsuits.com. And that'll give you a sense for what we, what we do, what we work on. And
0: we'll have that link in our show notes and in the article on our website at btr.org all of the information about Nekosi and and the information you hear will all be in one place on our website. So for wives who care about this, many of our listeners actually might be victims and might not know it at all, which is super, super scary to think about. So listeners, if that's you and you find out, we are here for you. Nekosi is here for you. And the resources that she just talked about are here for you. Secondly, if you're just a concerned woman who knows the harms of pornography due to your husband's abuse and his involvement in it, and you want to help out, right? You want to advocate to make this world a safer place. You really need to check out Nicosi at endsexualexploitation.org. Kristen, can you talk to my listeners about what they can do to progress this movement towards safety for all women?
1: So, I mean, speaking broadly, and this may not apply as much to your listeners, but there is a market for this kind of content on Pornhub and Xvideos and all these other sites, and markets are driven by demand. So the first thing a regular person can do, especially men and boys, is to not consume the abuse. This is a very profitable industry, and it's driven by the fact that people want to see this stuff. I would also say if you're in one of the two states Massachusetts or South Carolina that currently doesn't have a law against this type of content then definitely advocate with your local leaders for such a law. I believe Massachusetts House actually passed one last month but it hasn't been passed by the Senate or signed by the governor and then I think there's a real need to educate boys and men and the general public about this issue in a way that puts the responsibility for it where it belongs. I think that in many ways as a society, the way that we talk about sexual assault has changed for the better. We're not just telling women to watch out or blame them for not fighting back. You know, we really recognize more that it's on men not to perpetrate. And I think the same thing applies with this issue. We can't just be telling women and girls, you know, to watch out or to be more careful We need to teach men and boys not to perpetrate. And I think part of the importance of this abuse framing is doing that. It's calling this thing by its right name, calling it by the term that shows how serious the wrong is, how serious the human rights abuse is. And I think that's a big part of what any person can do with really any type of gendered violence or abuse is to call the thing by its right name. I think so often men's violence against women, men's abuse of women and girls is disappeared by the way that we talk about it or the fact that we don't talk about it. So I think that's a big thing that any person can do.
0: I really appreciate that. It reminds me of the Jackson Katz quote. I'm going to paraphrase it, but maybe I'll put it on the website. But it's like, we talk about how many women were raped last year, not how many men raped women, right? And just reframing that. For our listeners, since they're not men and boys, the number one thing you can do is get to safety in your own home. The number one thing you can do is learn how to set boundaries, learn how to get to safety yourself, and learn how to make sure that your own home is safe. That's number one. When your own home is safe, the number two thing you can do if you want to get involved check out the Nicosi website and sexualexploitation.org. They have a lot of campaigns there. You can get on their email list. I'm on their email list. I love it when I get their emails. <laughs> things like, you know, sign this petition or send an email to your senator and then give like a template of things that you can do. So at the very least, that gives you some scaffolding to start making some progress if you want to do something but you don't know where to start. The Nicosi website and They have a summit every year and getting involved that way is a really good way to start making change in the world. But I do want to say for me personally, when I was in my abusive relationship, I was so focused on pornography addiction recovery. I didn't understand it was abuse. So I went down the wrong road for a while. And also I was really involved at Nicosi and the anti-pornography movement, which was awesome. And I loved it but I was spending a lot of time trying to solve the world's problems and not able at that time to actually get to safety myself. And I have found that I am much more effective (laughs) in making the world a safer place when my own home is safe. And it's impossible to make the world a safer place so that your home will be safe. Like it's much easier to make your home safe first and then help the world than the other way around. You can actually literally within a few years, three to six years, actually make your home a safe place. It takes a long time. It's hard to learn boundaries. It's hard to learn these skills, but it is possible. The fight and exploitation that we are all involved in, it's like a worldwide battle that is going to take a long time. And so don't wait for that. Don't think, okay, well, when The US passes a law that porn's illegal and my husband can't watch it anymore, then I'll be safe. Like, please do not wait for that. Get to safety now. There is a very peaceful and safe life that you deserve that is possible to have now, even if pornography exists. And I just want to hit home that, like, even if it exists, you can still have a healthy relationship and you can still have a peaceful home if the person that you're married to is not abusive. So just some final thoughts for me. That's like my rant, Kristen, that I told you I often go on a rant. There's one. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share?
1: I think one final thing for me, it's just a broader point that I think reflects some of the things that we've talked about with respect to naming this as abuse. I think the way that people often perceive pornography can follow this pattern of the way that the invisibility of various forms of violence and abuse against women are invisible, um, whether the abuser is a pimp, a husband, a boss, or film producer. The violence and abuse are not seen as political, not seen as systemic, as an attack against women as a class. And I think it's really important that we identify this as the sort of systemic that it is because it's really quite incompatible with with gender equality in a
0: society. I could not agree more. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. It is systemic because when our listeners try to get out, right they go to a therapist, they go to clergy and they get answers back like, "Oh, it's a communication issue or oh, you're just not having enough sex or they don't get oh, he's abusive. I went to therapy for seven years with an emotional and psychological abuser who was also sexually coercing me. I did pornography addiction recovery for seven years. No one told me I was being abused. That is insane. I go to a church that has a on the books doctrine and policy that no abuse will be tolerated. And all of my clergy were like, oh, he's such a good guy. Like they did not know it was abuse. Mm. I didn't know it was abuse. And so, because of that misunderstanding and not labeling it for what it is, women are continually being harmed and men are continually abusing with impunity. And it is absolutely systemic and it is dangerous, not just for women, but it's also dangerous for men because they can't have a healthy relationship or have a peaceful, healthy life if they're abusive, right? So, the answer for everyone is healthy. Um, non-abusive interactions with other people and non-exploitative interactions. So thank you for all of your work at Nekosi. Nekosi is amazing. Again, I cannot stress enough how important their work is. Please visit their website, endsexualexploitation.org. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.